Good morning. Good to have all of you here today. We appreciate your presence, and um, it's especially good uh, to have James and Beverly back. They arrived back safely from Israel, and uh, you know, you're not aware of this, but last week uh, I had told the congregation that you all were gone and you'd left me your keys, and um, I had told them how that Kim wanted to short sheet your beds while you were gone, and I wouldn't let her. Um, so, you know, we had some discussion about that. Well, the other day when they were supposed to arrive home, this is the rest of the story. They were supposed to arrive home and Sarah Martin had made some uh, food and got some food together. And so Kim and I and Anne Marie went to the house and we were going to take the food inside and put it in the refrigerator for them so they'd have some food when they got home. When we got in the door, we heard this beeping And I thought, that's either an alarm clock or it's a security alarm system. It was a security alarm system. (laughs) Beverly said she gave me the code to push in, but I've forgotten if she did. And we went over there, and, and boy, that thing just was blaring loud. I mean, the whole city had to have heard. And um, I just turned and ran. I ran back out. (laughs) the front door, and then I felt bad because I left Anne-Marie and Kim in the house, but they had already gone out the bedroom window. They were, they were already in the car, so uh, anyway, it was an eventful day. Some of that's true, too, but uh, we're glad you're back, um, and uh, I could just see the headlines. Local preacher caught, you know, breaking into someone's house, but anyway... If you have your Bible, open it to 1 Samuel, chapter 15. I want to share with you, or just give a little bit of background to a story that takes place in 1 Samuel 15, but then I want to make some application from it. Probably, if you understand what I'm talking about at all today, you're old enough to have lived long enough that, well, you know that you're a sinner, We all make mistakes. Every one of us do things that we don't intend to do, and our intentions are good, and and sometimes we just, our performance is terrible. Sometimes our performance uh, is terrible because our intentions are terrible. Uh, It it goes both ways. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Isaiah said that if, they, if we took our righteousness and we gave it to God, it was like, well, to him it's like filthy rags. I mean, have you ever been in your garage or some, you know, or, or you know, in the back of something, you look back and, and there it's been for years in the back of the garage and it's gotten wet and cobwebs and, and nasty all over it. Can you, I mean, you don't even want to like touch it. You know, you, you're careful how you... Grab it because it's just so filthy. The very best we are is like that to God. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have no righteousness of our own merit. Uh, If we're going to be saved, it's going to be because of the grace of God and our faith in Jesus Christ. And so, um, with that in mind, what do I do when I'm wrong? How do I behave myself when I make mistakes? Have you, 
maybe some of you are old enough to have lived, and I know they've had reruns, but do you remember the old candid camera show with Alan Funk? And, you know, they would do the... They used to have one of these, these skits. They put a, a child and sometimes two, two children in a room, and they put these great big marshmallows on a plate. And they said, do not eat these. You know, don't, don't touch these. Um, you can have more later, but do not touch these. And then they got a phone call and had to leave the room. And it left that child and that marshmallow all alone in the room. And, man, they would just do all kind of, you know, con, uh, you know contortions. And, you know, they, they would sniff it. They would pick it up. They would lick it and put it back. They would do all kind of stuff with it. And, and finally, they'd just give in. They'd eat it. And then the man would come back in the room after the child had succumbed to the temptation. And then he would say, where's the marshmallow? Oh, the stories that they would tell. And if there were two of them, the way that they would point the finger at each other, uh, it's, it's humorous if it weren't so serious. We move a little forward, and, you know, that, that's what a, that's children, that's what children do. That's the way they behave. But now we see in 1 Samuel 15, an adult king behaving in the very same fashion. And we, we can look at his story, and we will in just a minute. But then, you know, when we get done looking at his story, um, then, then there's our story. We do the same thing. When's the last time you were wrong, and what did you do? Just yesterday. Yesterday, we were watching a television show. It was Gunsmoke, James. Uh, we were watching uh, Gunsmoke, and there was this guy on there, and I thought, man, that is um, Ed Ames. I don't know if you know who that is. That's the guy that played uh, the, the um, Mingo on the Daniel Boone you know, show. And I said, that's who that is. And Kim said, no, it isn't. I said, yes, it is. Look at him. No, no, it isn't. It's not him. And we had this back and forth. Yes, it is. No, it isn't kind of thing. And then there was an angle where I thought, oh, it's Leonard Nimoy. You know, that's who it was. And I acknowledged that. And I just told Kim, I'm wrong. You're right. It's Leonard Nimoy. That's the way I responded because of what I'm preaching today. But, you know, if I, if I were, you know, in some other context... I would have had an excuse probably. But we do, we still make excuses. And so here's what the lesson is about this morning. I want us to consider how we react when we're wrong and what we should do and maybe some signs that will tell us when we're wrong. Who, I guess it was Jeff Foxworthy that said, you know, you know you're a redneck if or when, you know, this kind of thing. Well, I I don't want to do that, but I do want to say, you know you're wrong when. And I want to give you three things this morning, and then the lesson will be yours. But let me just back up and give you a little bit of context to 1 Samuel chapter 15. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, the beginning of the chapter, well, just read with me verses 1 through 4. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me up to appoint you or to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. He said, Listen, I've been sent, I've made you king. Now listen to what God is about to tell you. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what it did to Israel, how it ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant, nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered up the people together and numbered with them. uh, And there were 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And they went to Amalek to destroy them. Sometimes people say, oh, destroy everybody. I mean, ooh, even the children. Yes, that's what God had done. Keep in mind that what God does is disciplinary here. And furthermore, keep in mind the perspective of eternity. You know, there was another time, and nobody seems to have problems, moral problems with this. God brought a flood on the earth. And that destroyed everybody that was wicked, and children too. But, you know, when you consider the fate of these children that were brought up, and, and, you know, there's an eternal perspective that has to be considered in understanding uh, what, what they have been told to do. But anyway, that's what he was told to do. So he goes down with the children of Israel. They get in battle. They win. But... As you recall, they didn't kill everybody. They brought back the king and paraded him as, you know, a captor uh, to uh, their, their military prowess. Um, they took um, some of the animals. That they didn't kill all the animals because the people said, you know what? We could bring those animals back and offer them as sacrifices to God. And uh, we can just have, you know, this great worship service. When he got back, Samuel the prophet said, what, what is this that I hear? I hear the bleeding of sheep. Why would I be hearing that, Saul? And he said, well, because the people wanted to bring back some animals to sacrifice. And he said, don't you know that to, to obey is better than to sacrifice? And to hearken, well, that's better than the fat of rams. You should have done what God said to do, utterly destroy. And why do you have this king here? Saul said, I did obey. Samuel said, no, you didn't. And Saul argues with him, yes, I did. I obeyed. But then Samuel says, but if you would have obeyed, there wouldn't be these sheep. There wouldn't be this king. You've disobeyed God. Saul was wrong. And he should have known it. And maybe deep down he did. But here's what we sometimes do. We, we rationalize to protect our errors. We try to pretend like we weren't really wrong when we were wrong. And Let's take note of a few things. You know you're wrong. You know you've made a wrong decision. When, number one, you try to justify what's unjustifiable. Look at what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Look at verse 18 through 20. Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you not, or why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? 
And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and gone on the mission of which the Lord sent me, and brought back King Agag of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. When you find yourself trying to defend an indefensible position, you've, you've done wrong. You've made a mistake. When God says, kill everything, and you say, I obeyed, but I brought back this, you didn't listen. You didn't obey. There are modern attempts, we see it all the time. How many times have you heard somebody say something along this line? Well, I know what the Bible says, but God, I think, would overlook this. When the Bible says one thing, and you're saying the polar opposite, you've made a mistake. When I know that there are sometimes passages that are hard to understand and, and difficult, but listen, rule of thumb, when the Bible says something and you do the exact opposite of what it says, there's probably not a whole lot of ways to interpret that to make it work out right, that you're in the right. If the Bible says, I permit not a woman to teach or have authority over a man, then if we have women preachers, we've probably done something wrong. Wouldn't you say it'd be a pretty safe bet? When the Bible says, I want you to be buried with Christ in baptism, and we don't bury them, but we sprinkle or pour some water on them, it's a pretty safe bet that you have not done what the Bible wants you to do. And the list can go on and on. What we need to do is take the Bible for what it says. And when I find myself trying to defend what's indefensible, that I don't have any Bible for, don't have any passage for, I've made a mistake. How many times have we heard people say, well, you know, I'm not much quoting Scripture. You know, I don't know the Bible like you do. But, you know, I just feel, I just feel... We're going to go by the way we feel as opposed to what the Bible actually says. Is that a safe standard? If, if that is, we're likely to make a whole lot of mistakes. Because the proverb writer tells us that a man who trusts in his fool, or a man who trusts in his heart, is a fool. Feelings are deceptive. They can make us believe the wrong things. Sometimes a person might say, well, you know... I, I see what it's... I don't don't believe in a God like that. I don't believe a God would require that of anyone. Have you ever heard somebody say that? God says it, but then we turn around and say, but I don't think that that's really what God would do. That's not the kind of God I serve. Well, then you don't serve the God of the Bible because that's what it says. You know, if there's part of the Bible that you believe in and you find that there are other parts of the Bible that you don't believe, then you know what? Really, you don't believe the Bible at all. You believe yourself. And you believe what you like and not what God has said. We we need to do what the Bible says. And when I find myself in stark contrast to what the Scriptures teach, I have made a mistake. Here's the second thing. 
you can know you're wrong and you've made a wrong decision when you want to share the credit or, if you will, the blame for your actions. What, what does Saul do? As soon as Samuel says, what is this bleeding I hear? What, I, what about all these animals that you've brought back? What, tell me what's going on here. And what did Saul quickly say? He didn't say, being king of Israel as I am, I decided on my own authority and rule to do this and that. He didn't, want to take a, he didn't want to take responsibility. He said, well, the people, the people wanted to do this. And so I went ahead and let them. It wasn't really me. Uh, I've kind of washed my hands of the whole affair, actually. It was them. You see, you can know that you've made a wrong decision when you don't want to take responsibility for what's happened. That gives you an idea that you're not, you know deep down it's not right. Adam, when they sin in the Garden of Eden, he looks to God and says, that woman you gave me blames Eve. And she's no better because when she is confronted, she says, well, that serpent, everybody just trying to shift responsibility to somebody else. You know you're in the wrong when you try to shift responsibility and you're unwilling to accept responsibility for your own actions, that's a pretty good sign. Here's the third thing. You know you've made a mistake or made the wrong decision when you try to put a religious spin on your disobedience. Have you ever seen that done? Look at what he says, 1 Samuel chapter, uh, in, in verse 21, chapter 15, verse 21. But the people took the plunder sheep and the oxen and the best of the things which they have uh which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal the people did it not me the people did it but they did it cuz we wanted to do it for a really neat worship service we're going to have this huge sacrifice tries to make disobedience into something religious I, you know, Bill Cosby has that routine about the, how children lie sometimes. And that cookie, you know, you tell the children not to get the cookie. And they, they're, sure enough, you hear the lid go off. And, and, and you walk in and they, they have the cookie in their hand. And they say, oh, I was getting this for you. You know, no, you weren't. You're trying to redeem a disobedience. And it doesn't work. And that's what Saul's trying to do. God said, utterly destroy them. They don't. They disobey. They bring back these flocks. And now he's trying to put a religious spin on it just to kind of like get the heat, divert the heat from them. It, it doesn't work that way. I've heard people make decisions and choices. Um, well, you know, probably one of the most outrageous ones I've heard uh, happened a number of years ago. There was a man who was um, a member of the church, but he's not living a faithful life. In fact, uh, word had gotten back that he was living a rather immoral life. And that I went to talk to him one day, and he explained to me why he was visiting these adult nightclubs. And he said, there's a girl that dances in one of these clubs, and I think I'm making some progress 
I think she'll come to church with me. So he excuses his behavior at an adult uh, nightclub with uh, a woman saying, trying to put some kind of a religious spin on it, like, I've almost got her to come to church with me. Really? Okay. People do that all the time. They'll do whatever it is. Uh, they'll engage in uh, shady practices. But, you know, if this, comes, if this bears fruit, you know, I, I'll, I'm, I plan on giving money to the church. Oh, well, now that makes it right. You see, we, we need to understand that you can't put a religious spin on disobedience. Disobedience doesn't honor God. There's nothing religious about it. There's nothing about it that God wants. In fact, as the children of Israel, look at some of the most scathing denunciations in the Old Testament. They came from God, spoken through prophets to people who were going through the motions of religion, who had their heart elsewhere, but they were giving God his sacrifices. They were going through the motions, and God said, I hate it. I despise this. Stop it already. What I want is your heart. And as long as we engage in activity that is sinful, you can't doctor it up, dress it up, make it look like something that God would ever want. He can't be that easily fooled. And then the last thing is, when you're more concerned about what people think than what God thinks you've probably made a mistake. And you see, that's where Saul was. Look at verse 24 of chapter 15. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Uh, Credit him for that. You know, he's done. It took him a minute to get there, but now he's done. He's come clean. I've sinned. It wasn't anybody. There's no excuse. What I offered a little bit ago, that was bogus. I sinned. I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. What was the problem? What caused Samuel to sin, or I mean Saul to sin? He feared the people. He was more interested in pleasing people than he was in pleasing God. He feared the people more than he feared God. And how often does that happen today? How many decisions are made in churches that are based on, well, if we do this, I think we can get people to come. And and if people come, then our board numbers get bigger and that contribution number gets bigger and we we reign over a bigger empire. And so we make those decisions on those bases or some make decisions upon that basis. Um, How many decisions are made in churches? We can't do that. Because if we do that, you know how many families that will affect? You know how many people are going to get mad if we do this, if we make this known? Why, we'll have people leave. If we do what God said, uh, then, you know, we're going to sell the building. We're going to have to do this and that. It shouldn't matter. At the bottom, at the end of the day, the bottom line is what does God say? It doesn't matter if we stand alone, if we stand with God. So here's, you know, a case study. Saul makes a grievous mistake. We all have. 
we've all been where he, he was. We, we've made mistakes. And, and he compounded his mistake by trying to justify it for a while trying to excuse himself, trying to put a religious spin on his disobedience. But finally, at the end of the day, he just said, you know what? There's no defense. I, I blew it. I sinned. And that's what we need to eventually come to. Let me ask you a question. Are there things in your life that you know are not right? Is there any part of your life, you know, we can't compartmentalize our lives and, you know, we have this Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday lifestyle and and then on Sunday we have our our Sunday life. Is there something about your life, some sin that you protect that you won't let go of that just, it's enjoyable and and you've rationalized it, you've looked at other people who have bigger things and and so you don't feel so bad about what you're doing. Uh, you, you've tried to excuse it. Maybe you've even tried to put a religious spin on it and say, you know, in the end, maybe it's going to help me. Maybe it'll give me more experience. Maybe someday down the road, you know, when I quit, I'll be more equipped to help somebody else that goes through the same thing. You can put your spins on it, but at the end of the day, is it wrong? And if it is, it needs to be dropped. It needs to be abandoned. You need to humble yourself before God and say, I made a mistake. Will you forgive me? And the God of heaven will. That's what's so great about being a child of God and and a Christian. Because, man, we make mistakes. We make boatloads of mistakes. And there's no one here that has the right to be smug or arrogant or look down on anybody else because they've made mistakes. Well, because we've all done it too many times. But the good thing is that we serve a God who can look at us in spite of those mistakes and say, I see something in you that is redeemable. And if you will humble your heart and truly repent, I'll take you back. I'll wipe you clean. And man, I wouldn't trade anything in the world for that. What does this world have to offer you that would cause you to give up on God? Or to turn your back on God? What, what is there in this life that is so good that for however long you can have it, you'd be willing to give up an eternity in heaven? If we think about it, the answer to that's clear, nothing. And if you have something in your life that is out of order, out of kilter, that you need to make right, why don't you do it this morning? We serve a God who delights in mercy. And if you need to respond to the invitation, whether it's to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, or whether it's to say, you know what, I've failed, I've sinned, and I want the prayers of my brethren to help me, then we'll be glad to do that if you'll come as we stand together.